Welcome to the show. In today's podcast, we have Mariana Couric. She's a holistic wellness coach focusing on stress and burnout prevention in high achievers. She's a certified integrative nutrition coach, a registered yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, a personal trainer, and a corporate wellness business owner. In today's episode, we discuss stress and anxiety and how it specifically affects women. If you're dealing with stress or anxiety or you want some tools to deal with it when it comes up in your life, this is a great episode for you. Before we head into today's episode, I am so excited to share some details with you from today's sponsor, Dr. Stephen Cabral, board certified doctor of naturopathy and author of The Rain Barrel Effect, whom I've had on the show in the past. He has a really incredible offer for listeners today, and that is a complete mineral and metals at home lab test kit and health coaching call for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. The state-of-the-art at-home health test allows you to discover your underlying root cause for high stress, brain fog, weight gain, headaches, skin rashes, poor sleep, inflammation, and so much more. No needles or blood required. Just a few snips of hair and you can discover your mineral deficiencies and heavy metal toxicities such as arsenic, aluminum, cadmium, and mercury. Once results are received, you will get a free consultation with one of Dr. Cabral's health coaches who will help you understand your results and provide you with a personalized wellness plan to take back control of your health and rebalance your body. Again, this is a limited time offer. Dr. Cabral is providing the lab test and consultation to my listeners for free. You just pay shipping and handling. This is a $299 value. So head on over to stephencabral.com slash cat, K-A-T, to reserve your test today. Welcome to the Kaka TV podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Marina. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Hi, Kat. It's so good to be here. Before we begin, tell us a little bit about your journey and why you chose to focus on stress and burnout prevention. Yeah, so I feel like for many people, many coaches, many healers, and those who go on to do this type of work, it's born out of our own struggles. And that was the case for me. Five years ago was the peak of my own personal stress. And then it stayed steady all along throughout my corporate career. I was a consultant traveling often, um, doing technology implementations in the HR field. Then I was a project and program manager at one of the fastest growing startups in the country at the time. And I was managing M&A acquisitions and special projects and so many different things. And for me, when I look back at my own health, I was doing everything right. So I started uh, my training in health coaching and integrative nutrition. And from there, I was taking care of myself as far as eating well, exercising, doing yoga and mindfulness. But what I realized is that despite all of that, despite checking all of those boxes that so many of us take care of, there was still something that was holding me back every single day. And I felt stress and anxiety first thing in the morning. And so looking back, it's I think health is so much more than just checking those boxes that really make sense and have to be in place. And I started to look beyond just the physical wellness and really thinking about holistic health. So the mind, body, our emotions, and all of those different aspects that were being impacted in my life by stress. And from there, rewinding back to that time and looking at my own journey, I started to, with my health coaching practice, which is what I eventually evolved my work into, I quit the corporate field and decided that this is really my calling. I started to add layers of mind-body healing, breath work, mindfulness and meditation to really regulate the nervous system. Because looking back, for me, that was completely the case. My nervous system was dysregulated for years. Really that entire time throughout the corporate, my corporate work, five to seven years of just running on empty and trying to stay afloat with my self-care practices that weren't really getting at the deeper issues of the chronic stress that I was facing daily. So that's why I focus on stress today. I still feel that it is one of the most important things for us to tackle as it relates to our health. And of course, especially as a result of everything that's happened 
with the past two years and the pandemic and all the changes. Let's start with some definitions. What is the difference between stress and burnout? What I like to highlight for those I work with and whenever I talk about stress is that there's such a thing as good stress. And there's a lot of opportunities in our life and in our career to take advantage of amazing stretch goals, growth opportunities, presentations, going after new levels of growth in who we are and what we do. And that good stress feels really similar to what bad stress feels like in the body. It's just that the way we internalize it and the way that we look at it is different. From there, there's good stress, and that's called eustress. There's also such a thing as distress, and that's what weighs on us physically, mentally, and emotionally. So think of it as a project that didn't go well that you still think back on, and weeks have passed, and you still ruminate on that event. That's that bad stress that's starting to take a toll on perhaps your sleep cycle, your relationships, maybe you've lost your appetite for a couple weeks now, and it's something that's really staying with you and, again, weighing on you as far as physical tension, as well as mental, emotional aspects. And then further down the scale of what I really call like the stress um, continuum, there's burnout. And this is when stress, that distress, the negative type of stress has gone on for months and for some of us for years. This is where we really get into the area of that nervous system dysregulation, where the body is starting to prioritize and look for, and really only focus on the stressful events in our life. So focusing on the negatives and trying to keep us safe at all costs. So when we um, spend, again, weeks, months, sometimes years in that stressful state, what ends up happening is really our entire body is starting to get impacted. And that's where burnout comes up. For many of us, burnout might feel like an inability to keep going. It's sleep cycle being completely disrupted, shutting down our ability to connect with others, feeling fatigue, of course, chronic fatigue and adrenal failure, something that if we don't manage stress properly when it comes up, can go on to develop into these larger um, conditions that stay with us for a longer amount of time. So I always encourage everyone to be mindful of where you are at on that stress continuum. For uh, a lot of high achievers, and I work with many high achievers, many career-driven professionals and people who manage multiple responsibilities. Maybe they also have a family or a caregiver, as well as having a thriving career. There's a high degree of good stress that's there. So it's important to also be mindful of that, be replenishing, taking care of yourself, focusing on self-care as you go through these even good stress events. And then, of course, being mindful of where that distress is starting to come up for you, how long it's staying with you. And of course, being mindful of some of the larger signals as stress continues to stay with you, being mindful of sleep, of things like your hunger um, and your digestion, and just some of the larger symptoms that the body is starting to send when we're reaching that point of burnout. So super important to be mindful of where you are and how long you've been there on that spectrum. How can someone know if what they're experiencing is stress or something maybe more serious? Yeah, absolutely. So some of those larger signals that the body is sending are the different systems in the body that start to get impacted. So I think one of the biggest signs is the impact that your sleep quality is kind of taking as a result of stress. So when we're feeling stress that's fleeting, maybe it's a one-time event that we're preparing for and it means a lot to us and we want to perform at a high level, leading up to that, we'll certainly feel that elevated stress. So maybe a couple nights of feeling like you're not able to fall asleep on time, you still have a little bit of that anxious thoughts as you're falling asleep or as you're waking up. But then after a while, the event passes and you go back to balance, go back to normal, regular sleep-wake cycles and so on. The big signal is that when we stay under stress for a long time, that sleep disruption becomes much more intense and impactful for us. So inability to fall asleep for weeks or months during your ideal window of time that you would normally go back to sleep 
waking up in the middle of the night. So for many of us, when we're under chronic stress, what tends to happen is there's so many stress hormones that are circulating throughout the body during the day that the body is still trying to process them at night. And so I hear often my clients say that they wake up at around 3 a.m. and they aren't able to fall asleep until 5 a.m. And then, of course, the alarm rings an hour or two after. And so you stay in that cycle of inability to fall asleep, waking up in the middle of the night, trying to fall back asleep, and then, of course, having to start your day. So I think that is one of the biggest signals to really pay attention to and lean into this area and just ask yourself, what is my relationship to stress right now? Where is it coming from? And what level is it at? So if you've been at a level, I would say six plus out of 10, for the past couple of weeks, really something that needs to happen is seeking out new ways to support the body as well as looking at lifestyle. So for many of us, chronic stress is a function of how we're living, our career, our family dynamic, whatever it might be. These are social things that are happening in the world and in our personal life. And so for many of us, I hear I've been stressed for so long. Stress is something that's present all the time. And I always say, let's break it down. Let's actually understand what it is that's causing you the stress. Any change that we want to create starts with awareness first. So really understanding your triggers, your level of stress, what it is that's causing you stress. And an important question I encourage everyone to ask is, when did I have low stress and what was happening at that point in my life and what has changed? So just looking for those changes and signs and signals throughout your life of what maybe is the reason for why you're feeling the way you're feeling right now. And so sleep dysregulation is that super important thing to be mindful of. I always say that stress overall is a signal and sleep dysregulation is a signal that stress is becoming something that we really need to start paying attention to more and more. It's becoming more than just the everyday stress. So absolutely stress uh, and sleep, it's such an important connection because then when our sleep becomes disrupted, we wake up stressed because that stress has been unprocessed since the day before. We still wake up with some of those stress hormones in the body. And that's where the cycle begins all over again. So Restful sleep is so important always, and especially when we're facing challenges in our life. How does stress affect women differently than men? This is one of the most interesting things that I've been looking into this year, especially. And the reason why I think it's been most relevant this year is for two reasons. So the first is with the pandemic and different health outcomes that have been happening in families with members of the family who are older or with children who have to stay at home and learn at home, the responsibility for caregiving falls disproportionately on women still. And just before earlier today, I was thinking about caregivers and the percentage of care in the U.S. at least that are women. And it's actually 75%. I just looked up that statistic. And so women have this additional responsibility that's relevant today and over the past two years, especially where not only are some of us juggling our career, taking care of children, trying to be a good partner to our spouse or our, our boyfriend or partner, but it's also that we may have this additional responsibility to be a caregiver for others. And this is that additional layer of the emotional toll and the additional aspects of stress that get added onto just the day-to-day -day that we already feel with career, with family, and so on. The other reason why I think, especially now, looking at how stress affects women differently is because for a large part of the world, we have moved to the virtual environment. And Zoom meetings, of course, we know have escalated significantly. And what's interesting is that Stanford actually looked at this over the past couple of years because we kept hearing how Zoom fatigue is real. People get burnt out and it doesn't really make sense for us. Why are we getting so tired by having back-to-back -back Zoom calls? We're really just sitting at our desk and working. But it's because when we are on video, the way I like to paint this example is when we were in person in a meeting in a boardroom, we were face to face and we never had a mirror in front of our face. We were never this acutely aware of how we look, how we emote, 
trying to get our message across even more strongly via video than we would in person. And what the Stanford study found is that Zoom fatigue affects women even more than men. And that's because women already have the additional self-image concerns that we bring with us into the workspace as far as how we look, how we come across, the words that we use, how we emote and present ourselves. That was already the reality when we were in person. And now we are being asked to promote that even more via video. And it's a little bit more challenging for us to do that, to still connect the same way via video as we would in real life. And that uh, self-image issue comes up a lot as it relates to Zoom fatigue and a number of other aspects of why Zoom fatigue is relevant for both sexes. But it's been interesting to look into just this impact that the pandemic has had um, in adding additional things for women and what we have to deal with and think about. And these are just those additional things that are layers on the stress that we might have been feeling even before 2020. And what's interesting is on the level of the body, men seem to have a relationship with cortisol and adrenaline, which are the primary stress hormones, in a way that they can channel those hormones and that added energy into producing, into meeting goals, into being competitive. That's just the nature of the male uh, gender. Whereas for women, what tends to happen is we still have the cortisol and adrenaline and all of those additional layers wherever the cortisol and adrenaline might be coming from in our life, caregiving, being a good partner, performing at work. We also produce oxytocin, which is really interesting that when women are under stress, we produce more oxytocin than men do. And what that results in for women is something that's called the tend and befriend response. And this is something that's being looked into more and more now where for women, when we're under stress, what oxytocin promotes is actually a desire to bond with other people, to share what we're going with, what we're going through, and actually to take care of others. And again, I think it's interesting, this relates back to why women are disproportionately caregivers, is because when we're under stress and we see others under stress, for us, it feels more natural to step in and be the caregiver, to be the nurturing person in someone else's life. And of course, if anyone is listening to this and this resonates as far as your own personal life and how you've been dealing with stress, I think it's especially important to notice how much time you're spending caring for others versus how much time you're caring for yourself. That I think is the most important part in the tend and befriend response for women. It's just being mindful how much time you're giving versus how much time you're recouping back for yourself. Because knowing that, being informed with the tend and befriend response in women, it's even more important to notice and make sure that you're starting with yourself and filling up your own cup as well. Yeah. And I also had a doctor on recently and she was talking about how even the male adrenal glands are huge. And in women, they're just teeny tiny. We're not meant to handle all that stress. So that's why we tend to not do so well with it. While with a man, it just makes him more charged up and ready to go and handle things. And for women, it can make us very hormonally imbalanced and a little crazy if it's especially prolonged. Yeah, definitely. Something to really just be mindful of. I think that anytime we talk about gender differences in how we deal with anything and especially how we deal with stress, it may come across as, well, there's a weakness and an inability for women to deal with stress. And I always encourage everyone to reframe that as, This is us being informed by how our body and our biology really works on a deep level. And as soon as we just understand these few things, recognize them in our life and in our body and know how they feel for us, it actually becomes a superpower, right? How amazing that we are able to care for others and we have this drive to be nurturing, to be the caretaker. That's a beautiful thing about what it means to be a woman. And the same for men. Someone is able to channel all that energy and capacity into meeting deadlines and goals and accomplishing more. That's also a superpower. So it's about honoring, I think, these superpowers in both genders and also being mindful of how stress comes up for ourselves and for our partner and the opposite gender in our lives, uh, because I think that eliminates so much friction as well. 
in just understanding each other better. And how can stress impact our relationships? So this was a huge impact that I was seeing in my life back when I was reaching my personal peak of stress. This is where I think stress also has an impact on our ability to communicate. And we know that in relationships, the most critical thing for a healthy, thriving relationship is just better communication, open communication pathways between both parties to let each other know what's really going on. Otherwise, without that, we have our stories, we take things personally, and we don't have a thorough understanding of what another person is going through. And so the impact on communication, this is also interesting because it relates back to how men and women deal with stress differently. What we see with men is that men don't feel as comfortable opening up and really calling stress by its name. Men have a tendency to point at physical symptoms. So for example, let's take the example of back pain. Someone who is experiencing a lot of stress and is a male might simply point to and say, I have a lot of back pain. Whereas on an emotional level, that back pain could be caused by the chronic stress that they're experiencing. But it tends to be difficult for men to really open up and say, it's stress that I'm really under and I need to seek help for it. For women, it may be a little bit more easy to open up and share. Again, could be related to that oxytocin that we feel, that bonding hormone where we want to talk to other women in our life, share what we're going through, tell stories. That's the way that we bond. And so, of course, in our, let's just say, intimate relationships, if a woman has this tendency to open up and share, but the man doesn't feel like that feels natural for him, there could be that friction where the woman wants that closeness and that connection and understanding. But for the man, it's more difficult to really share and focus on stress and call it by what it is. So it's super important to be mindful of that. And beyond the communication aspects, which are more of the social and mental things that could be weighing on us, on the physical level, stress has an effect on our libido. And that's a huge part of of course, the way that couples connect. And it could create that additional rift between a man and a woman in a relationship or really any two parties in an intimate relationship because our libido is so sensitive to fluctuations from stress hormones. The reason this is because when we're under stress, our body is prioritizing us getting through the stressful event at all costs. And that means it's shutting down the less important on the level of the body, less important functions such as reproduction. And so that's where a lowered libido is something that could be another one of those signals and symptoms that stress is going on for a prolonged period of time. I already mentioned sleep being a really sensitive area to stress. Libido is another. And so paying mindful attention of your own libido, how you connect with your partner, whether you feel shut down or turned away, all of that, again, is something that without communication, we tend to take personally. We tend to start feeling undesirable or create personal stories around why that might be, when simply what could be happening is, again, that dysregulation on the physical level that's happening as a result of extreme stress. It's just hormones. And as soon as we take back control of the events in our life that are causing us stress, Libido is also one of the first things to start to come back. And it's, again, it's super important to just be mindful of those differences and how stress affects the body to promote that better openness and communication and relationships. Yeah, my husband has a lot of infertility clients. And the first thing he always does is send them on a long extended vacation with no phones, no access to the internet, nothing. And you'd be surprised most of the people are fixed of their infertility just with that vacation and on both sides. If the man is having problems with low sperm count or something, or if the woman has problems with hormonal imbalances, both can be fixed just by de-stressing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such a good idea. Most of the stress problems can be fixed just by simple lifestyle changes. And we always hear Americans chronically take less vacation than other than other groups in the world, than other countries. And it's no surprise that we are living under higher stress than ever before. So many of these experiences that we have, the poor sleep, poor digestion, low libido, fertility issues, 
They're a result of lifestyle inputs, which is really great news. It's not something that is meant to be with us forever. It's not a curse. It's really just that simple biological imbalance that as soon as we add those inputs that the body is craving, like rest, like nourishing food, like connection, spending time in nature, the body wants to get back to balance really quickly. And so we see change starting to happen, even from these simple pieces of advice, like taking a vacation. So that's amazing to hear. Hi, this is Dr. Stephen Cabral, and I want to thank Kat for allowing me to share with all of you something we've now been able to help over a quarter million people around the world with. This is state-of-the-art at-home health testing that enables you to discover your underlying root cause reasons for your higher stress, poor sleep, lower mood, lower energy, low libido, low ambition, weight gain, inflammation, and so much more. This at-home lab testing is easy to complete with just a few snips of hair to discover your nutritional deficiencies as well as your heavy metal toxicities such as arsenic, mercury, aluminum, cadmium, and more. Once your results are mailed in, you'll then be able to speak with one of my certified health coaches to truly understand your results and you'll receive a personalized wellness plan to take back control of your health and rebalance your body. As a limited time offer for CAT's audience, we are offering your first at-home lab test completely free where you just pay for the shipping and handling. This lab has helped so many people around the world, and I'd love to be able to introduce you to it as well. For details, go to stephencabral.com forward slash CAT. Going back to some of my own experiences in my past, I used to have a great job in social work, but then I got a terrible new boss and suddenly my stress went through the roof and I quit. What impact does career stress have on women versus on men? Yeah, so this is another one of those areas where women are could potentially be more sensitive to this area of career stress than men. And taking what we just talked about, right, the way that men take charge, feel, I would say, maybe more at home with stress, even as it relates to career stress, they have a tendency to just charge ahead, to use it as fuel. Uh, For women, we might be a little bit more sensitive to those stress hormones, and it might take even quicker for us to feel that impact. And an interesting area where, you know, both men and women are impacted by career stress is our cardiovascular health. And we know that heart disease is a huge, has a huge impact on women as well as men. Both sexes experience heart attacks. There's minor differences in in how both sexes are affected as far as cardiovascular health goes. But this is a huge area where I think career stress, in my opinion, is potentially the largest impact of how we process stress as far as our cardiovascular health goes. So with career stress and women, there is another interesting thing that happens. And this has been studied by a couple prominent news publications of just the way that women in the work environment We just talked about how we bond so easily over social connection, but in the work environment, there tends to be this friction between women who work together. And because women are still underrepresented in a lot of roles, we know that there's gender differences in pay. Women have the desire to excel at all costs as it relates to career uh, promotions and just doing great in their career. And so there tends to be even more friction between women as it relates to maybe going after the same job or the women on your team. And so it's really important to be mindful of those relationship dynamics at work, especially between women and peers who work together, noticing what those relationship dynamics are like. And then the other part of women being affected by career stress is this desire to not bring those nurturing, caregiving, feminine qualities to work with us. There's a desire to actually appear more masculine, to try and blend in, charge ahead, and not honor what it means to potentially truly be a woman and take self-care as a priority that we need to. And that's where career stress develops when 
we've all heard that we have to take care of ourselves first, but we might not put that into practice. And in some careers, it might feel a little bit more difficult to do that. And this is the piece of advice that's the hardest to receive for so many women of just hearing that you have to put yourself first before your career goals, before your relationships and family. It has to start with you because it might be perceived as weakness or as you're not dedicated to your job. And then, of course, that's where burnout happens. We notice that we might be going on, running on fumes for too long. And of course, that's where the only thing that we can think of that needs to really change is quitting and resetting and giving us back that time. And as opposed to going through these kind of really high highs and then really low lows, I encourage everyone to try and incorporate self-care. Again, as you go along, as stress happens, give yourself the opportunities to press the reset button on the stress that you're feeling. And many of us, you know, go to the spa on the weekends or take an occasional yoga class. And we only do that so that we can come back to the level from which we can be functioning, but not fully recharged. So we rarely give ourselves that opportunity to recharge all the way. And so that's where maybe it's a weekend uh, day that you spend completely to yourself every single week, then every single month taking a full weekend off, every quarter taking a week to yourself, taking a vacation, getting into that rhythm where you can be sure that you're not just getting yourself back to baseline, but actually replenishing fully. And and again, that's one of the ways that we prevent burnout, that we prevent hitting a wall completely and feeling like we have to take three months off of our career and take a sabbatical is just putting in that self-care as we go along. And the last thing I'll say on that is The most impactful thing for me has been making my self-care goals as important as my business goals. And rarely do we give self-care the same weight that we give our sales goals, our goals at work, anything financial related. And I really think we have to see them side by side. It's how many days have I taken off this month? How many yoga classes have I gone to, if that's your medicine? How many minutes have I spent meditating? How many times have I spent, how many days have I spent in nature? Whatever that metric is for you that moves the needle for you to feel fully recharged, seeing that and giving it that same equal weight as getting ahead in your career. It has to be there. We have to see it. For many of us, it helps to track it so that we know it's not falling off and becoming the last thing on our list as it tends to happen for so many of us. And what are some maybe early signs and symptoms that burnout is about to happen or happening that we can maybe recognize and not ignore? Yeah. So some of the most well-accepted symptoms that burnout is really on the verge or is happening are a few things. So we already talked about sleep and libido. I think those are great markers in the physical body. I think another one is digestion. That's another symptom uh, or system in the body that is really sensitive to stress. So our uh, ability to Uh, want food at regular intervals, our ability to digest food, just seeing how you deal with things like bloating, indigestion, proper elimination, constipation. These things are really important to be mindful of as well. For many people, it's a surprise. That's an impact from stress, but it is. So paying mindful attention to those physical symptoms is important. And then some additional things to be mindful of is The well-accepted signs and symptoms of burnout are, for example, depersonalization. So especially in women, we know that we can relate to others really easily. We can bond, we can listen, we can allow others to open up to us. In women and men, of course, depersonalization happens when you feel like you're losing that ability. When someone opens up to you and you don't have the ability to relate, anymore. That depletion of empathy and of care is a really big emotional sign that if we're trying to give something to others, we have to have that within ourselves first. And if we're running on empty, it 
takes a lot more effort to understand what others are going through. This is especially important for anyone who's in a leadership role, anyone who has a team, maybe someone who's an entrepreneur, uh, because it's actually been found that empathy is one of the most important skills for a leader to have. That's what a team that's counting on a leader can really feel and sense when a leader cares for them. It's empathy that's present. And so when we're reaching burnout, we are depleting our ability to empathize with others. And that's so important always, especially now that more of us are dealing with so many different personal things that we're bringing to work with us. So depersonalization, depletion of, of empathy are a couple of things. And another one is, and again, high achievers, this is so prominent. It's feeling like nothing you do is good enough. That decreased sense of accomplishment where maybe you used to be really driven by your goals, reaching certain metrics, seeing that quarterly or annual goal being met or exceeded. And now anytime that happens, it still feels like you're falling short. Um, and so that is another one of those markers where how do we know from our life and our lifestyle that something is off? Notice what you used to feel like. Notice what used to bring you joy and happiness and what used to light you up about your work, about your relationship and anything that you would normally look forward to. And if that's missing, that's one of those emotional signs that it could be your stress level that you've been living with for a while that could be creating that imbalance. So before we move on, could you clarify, maybe give us an example of acute, acute stress, chronic stress, anxiety, burnout, just so we have a clear example of what each of them looks like. Yeah. So acute stress is what happens in the moment. So you are you know, scrolling through your email and you notice an unexpected bill pop up. Acute stress is exactly what you feel in that moment, that surge of cortisol and adrenaline, which are a result of our adrenal glands working to keep us safe, to keep us free from danger. Of course, in this case, the brain is perceiving that bill as a dangerous event, and it's something that our body is trying to help us run away from or fight. So tense muscles, shallow breathing, rapid heart rate, the impact on the cardiovascular system, all of those things are a result of that acute stress response, our nervous system turning on to fight whatever it is that's in our surroundings. An email, a text, a conversation, you're walking down the street and you notice a car accident, all of those things create that acute stress in the body. Chronic stress is less pronounced, so it's less sharp when it happens, but it's that latent stress that's with us day in and day out. Something that you don't necessarily um, are able to run away from or quit immediately. So let's say you have a new team member that you don't get along with. It's not that you're going to quit your job over that or that the person will leave immediately. You may be working together for months or years looking into the future. And so it's that small latent uh, stressor that's with you for a prolonged period of time. A manager that you don't get along with. Anything that is enough to weigh us on us emotionally, but isn't that sharp uh, stressor. Uh, and it's something that's staying with us and causing that prolonged stress that may lead to burnout eventually. The difference between stress and anxiety is they often feel very similarly in the body. It's where they come from that's different. So with stress, typically, stress is a result of the real events in our life. It's, again, that email that's real, that conversation that you're having, something that's actually happening at work that's been an, an event. So it's something that either already passed or is happening currently. You can't stop thinking about, maybe you can't stop reliving, and your thoughts easily go to recreating that event over and over again. That's causing that constant release of cortisol and adrenaline just on a smaller level. That's what we typically think of as stress, whereas anxiety is typically defined by thoughts about the future. So events that haven't even happened, it's trying to prepare for catastrophe, so catastrophizing the future, thinking that the future is going to be worse than the present, and focusing on the negatives. So negativity bias is something that all of us have as just a function of our evolution. We've evolved to make sure that we stay away from danger. And 
with that evolutionary bias for finding what's wrong, what's maybe dangerous or negative in our surroundings. And anxiety is that modern day negative thoughts and negativity bias with us every single day. So it's us waking up and looking into our day and thinking that every single meeting that we're about to have is going to go wrong. Maybe we're going to mess up. We're not going to do our best. That's that anxious thinking that is less so a product of what's real and tangible and more so a product of our own thinking. So a lot of mindset work goes into here, into the area of anxiety to first take charge of our negative thought patterns and perhaps limiting beliefs, things like imposter syndrome, to minimize the impact that anxiety has on the body because we are the only creature in the world that can elicit that stress response through thought alone. So we can literally think ourselves stressed. That of course also means that we can think ourselves into peace and calmness. And that's that work that goes into spotting anxiety, what you're thinking about when it happens and starting to undo it. And then of course, burnout is I already mentioned things like adrenal fatigue, running on empty, really feeling so burnt out that potentially you start to shut down in a way that you turn to coping mechanisms that aren't necessarily healthy. The freeze response might start to come up for some of us where as opposed to dealing with what needs to be dealt with to get through stress, to have the right meetings, to pay the bills, whatever needs to happen, maybe then we start to prioritize Netflix or scrolling on social media as a way that we're really just craving that rest and a break from whatever is going on in our life that feels overwhelming to deal with. So for many, we don't notice the ways that we cope. So it's also really important that when you're reaching that point of burnout, of fatigue, where you feel tired and maybe restless throughout the days, notice also what you're prioritizing and how you're choosing to cope with that stress. That's where a lot of those negative behaviors start to come up for us as well. So that's hopefully not the area that... Uh, us or any of the listeners are reaching. But if you're getting to that place, spotting the symptoms, noticing what you used to feel like before, and knowing what needs to change in your lifestyle to get back to how you used to feel. So building that awareness. So this makes me think that the first thing you need to do is just stop watching the news because it preys on all of these mechanisms and just makes them so much worse. Wouldn't it be nice if the news told you the facts without emotional stuff tied to it. And then at the end, told you some good things so that you can go on your day on a happier note. <laughs> that would be an amazing world to live in. And that's such a good point. I think that we feel that turning off the news is some sort of a moral failure or like we don't care, like we're checking out of the world. But give yourself that break, give yourself that time, turn off notifications, delete Apple News, whatever other news you use on your phone, because exactly what you said, Kat, news is meant to elicit that fear response because it's so addicting. What I just said is that we have a negativity bias. That means a scary, stressful headline is going to catch our attention, get us to click and scroll and actually read the entire article so much more effectively than a positive one does. And if we watch the news or just look at your feed, when you open a news app, there's probably maybe 5% uh, of news that's positive in there. It's sprinkled in there, but it's certainly not prioritized. And that's all going back to evolution and the way our body and our brain chemistry works. It's all there to play into what we look for and prioritize, that fear, what's negative, what's not safe so that we're trying to keep ourselves safe by focusing on all of those things. But it's so important to be giving yourself that break. Again, those recharge days every single week, every single quarter, really giving yourself some respite away from technology. It's not selfish. It's actually bringing more peace into the world because you're helping one more person in this world feel calm, re-energize, which is you. So it's actually such an amazing thing that I recommend everyone do and be more mindful of, especially in today's world. What are maybe one or three things that we can do immediately to reduce stress? 
So the breath is the tool that I focus on the most as it relates to really all levels of stress. So from acute to chronic to burnout, the breath can play a role to help us in the way that we feel in each one of those moments. And the reason why that's so is because we are never taught how to breathe properly. It's not something that makes it into our life education at any point. And it's such a shame because the breath is a signaling mechanism. So we know that breathing happens our entire life. From the moment we, we are born to the moment that we pass, we're always going to be breathing. And we can't last even a few minutes without breath. That's how critical it is. So if we think about the nourishment that the body needs, we can live without food for weeks, without water for days, but without breath only for minutes. And so when we actually cultivate more awareness and attention to how we're breathing, when under stress, we start to deepen the breath and give ourselves that nourishment, the way that it works with our nervous system is that deep breathing acts on the part of our nervous system that helps us relax. There's two branches to our autonomic nervous system. This isn't something that we can necessarily control immediately, but one of the best ways that we can affect our nervous system is through the breath. It's not like we can think our way into feeling calmer when stress is rising, but what we can do is through the breath, regulate how we're feeling. So when we're taking sharp, shallow breaths, when we're panting or we're forgetting to breathe, as happens so often when we're under stress, we're breathing from the chest. Maybe there's times where we stop breathing altogether for a couple moments when we're really just processing what's going on in our life that is actually promoting the stress response even more. It's acting on the part of the nervous system that is responsible for that fight or flight mode. So those feelings of tense muscles, shallow breathing, racing heartbeat, when we're not breathing deeply, we're only telling the body to keep doing that, to keep staying in that state. It's almost like on the level of the body, we're affirming that what we're going through is in fact stressful and it's going to just keep us stuck in that fight or flight mode. Whereas if we deepen the breath, if we pay mindful, conscious attention to our inhales and exhales, and if we just deepen the breath any amount, it doesn't have to look super structured or take a whole lot of time. Even three to five minutes of deep breathing when you're under stress can help to start down-regulating that fight or flight mode and up-regulating, so increasing the relaxation response, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. And this has been studied and shown time and time again that even just these small pockets and breaks that we're able to give ourselves throughout the day of deep breathing can start to soothe us in a really meaningful way. So if it's acute stress, taking a moment, just a minute to yourself, if you can, walking away three to five minutes, coming back to center, placing a palm on the heart and a palm on the belly, and just taking some deep breaths in through the nose and out through the nose can help you find a little bit more stillness and peace of mind. We've all heard not to email or text angry. We know that it's so helpful to take that time away to provide yourself a way to just ground and, and reset and come back and answer from a calmer place. The breath is so helpful to facilitate that relaxation. In the chronic sense, when something is prolonged or maybe on the brink of burnout for us, Deep breathing practices, especially before nighttime, can help so much with that effect that stress has on sleep. So for many of us, when we're trying to fall asleep, we are just finally putting down our phone from the past 12 hours of being on it or having it near us. We maybe just read the news or maybe we read a Kindle or watched something on our laptop to fall asleep, but it's that technology that's with us constantly throughout the day. And so of course, we're going to have that difficult time to really get restful sleep. So putting in a pocket of time between technology, the day and everything that happened earlier, and before you actually go to sleep can help to calm the nervous system again. And here, maybe you can give yourself 10, 15 minutes to consciously breathe and self-soothe before you go to sleep. That's going to help you when the head hits the pillow fall asleep quicker. And again, that's that effect, that activation of the parasympathetic nerves, which through the breath, 
through nice, deep, conscious, long breaths are starting to slow down the heartbeat, give your circulatory system a break, give the mind a break, relax the muscles, and just allow you to get into a calmer state, which is the place we want to be in when we're about to go to sleep to make sure that we don't wake up throughout the night. So deep breaths, one of the best things in the moment, as well as for prolonged stress. Of course, breathwork classes or workshops, opportunities for that more prolonged rest, such as you would have in yin yoga or any other really relaxing modalities, getting massage. Oftentimes in any relaxing situation, we're always told to breathe deeply, to be mindful of the breath. So of course, giving yourself those opportunities as much as you can for prolonged periods of being with the breath and connecting with the mind and the body together is an amazing idea as well. But I always say that it could be just really short breaks throughout the day that you give yourself as a gift to start relaxing and resetting from the stress that you feel. Why should we be meditating? And what if you hate meditating? How can you do it? I always share that there's so many amazing healing modalities that are available to us today. Even in this world post-pandemic where a lot of things have gone virtual, that also means that they're more accessible to us than ever. So we've known that exercise works for decades now. I think that a majority of people will agree that exercise is pretty much a great thing for most certain things aside. But Overall, it's something that's helpful for the mind, for the body, for hormones, for our energy levels. From there, we started to learn more about yoga, and yoga started to become more and more popularized as far as more flexibility, more mobility, and that mind-body connection. A big part of yoga is breath work, so connecting breath to movement, it really creates a really meditative state when we practice yoga. So that became even more popular over the past, I would say, decade or so. From there, the next level that we reached is meditation. With Before the pandemic, so many amazing meditation centers were opening up and studios. So just like you would drop in for an exercise class, you can now drop in for a meditation. And that made it more accessible to so many people. And I think the next level up now is breathwork, where we're just learning the amazing benefits that breath has on the mind, on the body, on our hormonal health, and so many other things. And there's also sound healings. There's so many different things. Acupuncture. I always encourage everyone to pick what works best for you. Traditional meditation looks like sitting on a cushion, really just paying mindful awareness to the breath in the body, having your eyes closed. And for some people that doesn't feel accessible, and I totally honor that. I've had many people I've worked with that have had a difficult time just sitting still and meditating. And what I love to say is, Pick your medicine. If that's ever felt inaccessible, maybe a moving meditation, a walking meditation with eyes open could serve you. Maybe a meditation focused on the breath is something that could be more helpful or incorporating music and meditating just on the sound of music or different musical instruments that might be in your meditation with art. Adult coloring books are becoming more and more popular, which is so amazing. All of these things, really the goal from doing them is creating a meditative state. So it's not how we get there and what it looks like. It's just that we get there. For my partner, for example, he plays guitar. And for him, just sitting in meditation does very little for him, even though for me, it's amazing. And I get up from my meditation space a different person. For him, it's totally different. He plays music and really shuts down the thinking brain when he's playing music. And that for him is what does it. So one of those amazing benefits of any mind-body mindfulness practice is turning off the thinking brain and giving the brain a break from analyzing, from overthinking. For those of us who are prone to anxiety, when we sit in meditation, maybe we just spend that entire time catastrophizing and thinking about all of those negative thoughts and feelings that are coming up. So if that's the case for you, be gentle with yourself, right? The goal in self-care and in mindfulness 
is not just to follow a very strict protocol and system and check those bo- the boxes. As I mentioned at the start, it's really to create a more positive feeling in the mind and the body. So if you felt like meditation isn't accessible and you've only done it one way before, try again and experiment with different things. Again, choose your medicine. It might look completely different person to person, and that's the beauty of these practices. We know that we are completely unique in what we eat, in our sleeping schedules, what we prefer to do for exercise. And so I think we have to take that into our mindfulness practice as well. So try coloring, try walking with your eyes open, try dance and movement or cloud gazing, being in nature, whatever it might be for you. Really the goal of we'll just say meditation, any of these practices is again, giving your mind a break and coming back to your day with a little bit more creativity, more ease, more peace. All of that is what mindfulness makes possible for us. Tell us how everyone can work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is where you can learn a little bit more about my personal story. It's someofallpositive.com. That's S-U-M of allpositive.com. And that's also my Instagram handle as well. So I love helping those who are having maybe a more challenging time right now with the stress that they're experiencing, as well as those who maybe are in a good place and want to keep it that way. So I will say that for the past couple of years, I've mostly served those who are dealing with challenges. And of course, that's a function of what's going on in the world today. But I think it's also an amazing idea to learn more about the body, your stress response, and experiment with different healing modalities when things are going well. Or maybe when you're experiencing some of that good stress, the youth stress that I mentioned earlier, it's also important to be supporting the body to detox, unwind from the stress hormones that stress is still producing for us. So I work with many high achievers, entrepreneurs, people in the corporate environment, but also stay-at-home parents, stay-at-home moms. All of us need that additional layer of support as we look into uh, the future and as things continue to change. I think it's so important to be giving yourself that time, empowering and nourishing self-care, and just be really mindful of your relationship with stress right now. So that is exactly what I love working with others. And do you still have your free from stress masterclass? Yes. So you'll be able to find a link to that on my website. Again, someofallpositive.com. That is the quickest way to really get up to speed on what stress is. It's like a crash course and deep dive and understanding stress even deeper beyond what we shared today. And I also offer a free breathwork session with that. So it's a recording that others can enjoy just in the comfort of your own home. If you are new to all the benefits that breath can have for you, that's an amazing resource and something that I encourage everyone to check out because it's such a powerful, inexpensive, and completely abundant tool uh, that I think everyone should be taking advantage of. Thank you so much for your time today. And I'm going to put all of that information in the show notes. Is there anything else you would like to leave us with before we have? Yeah, I would just encourage everyone to pay more mindful attention to the stress in your life and what's been going on to maybe create that. As it relates to the ability for all of us to have heightened anxiety right now, just with everything that's been going on in the world. One of my favorite quotes is that the difference between fear and faith is simple. It's that both are made up. And it's really just building that awareness and noticing what are you focusing on? What is your relationship with the positive and negative events in your life? And how can you bring a more empowered outlook in a way that you can use the challenges that all of us have been facing over the past couple of years, make sense of them in a way that you can actually use them for good going forward. It's making them into learning experiences, into something that has purpose and intention in our life going forward, as opposed to really thinking of stress and the events in the world and anything that's been going on in your life as something that you really can't change and have no control over. Yeah, I would just encourage everyone to be mindful of how you're feeling, maybe as a result of this conversation tonight, if you want to journal, just think about those three simple questions. What is my stress level right now? 
where is that stress coming from? And when did I have low stress in the past and what was different? What might it take for me to get back to that level? Maybe it's asking for additional support. Maybe it's experimenting with self-care. Whatever it is, I really encourage everyone to take that on. Again, thank you so much for your time. And this was wonderful. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, everyone. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast and listen. You won't regret it. Thank you for listening to the show. Please show your support for the podcast by leaving a five-star review. Learn more about the show and what I have to offer you at katkatibi.com. Consider being a part of the new Patreon, where episodes are ad-free and you'll find extra bonus content. Send a voicemail question or email me. Check the show notes for more information. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.